0: If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll be reading starting in the 11th verse. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in the 11th verse. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, No word is more intimate to the human experience than love. It is far and away the choice theme of the arts, transcending culture and time. It is the deepest longing of the heart, and it is the ultimate universal language. It is also vastly misunderstood, confused, and manipulated, It is substituted by all manners of distortions that masquerade behind its name. We don't grasp what love is, for whom love is meant, and why love exists, and so we spin out a thousand false counterfeits. If you commit to thinking about it carefully, love is actually a tremendously difficult thing to define. It's not easy to define We think we see it We think we feel it But then if someone asks you To write it down What does it mean to love somebody what, what, what is love Not just what does love do But what is love itself It's really tough We know that it's both A noun and a verb A thing to be admired And an act to be joyfully committed But as a thing How do we know it when we see it And as an act, how do we know when we are giving or receiving real love? What standard can we use to rightly measure whether we are loving somebody? And how do we know when we have only encountered a counterfeit version of it? I've got one example. If you turn on the radio and you hear a voice telling you, your man's not good enough, let me love you real good, that's one wrong example. We've got one, at least, counterfeit. And while we're at it, what is the ultimate embodiment of love? We know what Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us if its ultimate fulfillment is indeed in the perfect person of Jesus, and we are sinners, imperfect as we are, can we really love at all? Our text couches love in a context we're not used to seeing. Christian maturity and growth. It isn't often that we associate love with growing in knowledge of Christ, or growing in Him like parts of a body grow together. I've never heard an R&B song define love that way. But this is what our text tells us. And this context provides as rich a definition of love as any other place in Scripture. It shows us that love in all its glory is a means and not an end. Love is not all you need, it is meant to guide you to the one whom you need. Love is not all you need, it is meant to guide you to all you need. Love is God's tool, God's handiwork, God's power, and it is for him. It is meant to shape man and move man, not exalt man. Love is like eating the most delicious leftover pizza you've ever eaten. Then looking on the box to find where it came from, putting the address in your GPS, and saying, we're going, because I want to taste it fresh. God defines love, embodies love, empowers us to have it, and has given it a purpose that exceeds human imagination that man might experience his glory. Let's read the text again. Let's really dig into it. So if we start at Ephesians 4.11, let's read one more time. And he gave, that's Jesus, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, And teachers, Jesus gave them the call, the command, the commission to equip the saints. That's you and I. If you're a Christian, you're a saint. Don't say, I'm not a saint, I'm a sinner. No, if you're a Christian, you're a saint. Automatically, you got the S stamp. S on your chest. Saint. No matter how much sin you have. If you're forgiven, you're a saint. And Jesus called his people, his leaders, to equip us, the saints, for the work of ministry, to equip us for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. I'm going to take a pause there for a second. Because this passage just told us what love is and we didn't notice it. Love is me becoming more like the lover of my soul. Love is another brother or sister in Christ coming alongside me, helping me to see the truth of the matter, and then calling me back to Jesus. Verse 15 Is a terribly abused verse. People say, don't talk to me like that. The Bible says you're supposed to speak the truth in love. And what they're usually saying is, I will live however I want to live. If you challenge me on how I'm living, if you come at me like that, you're not being loving. The scripture says, speak the truth in love. But that person forgot to look at what comes before and after the verse. And even in the same sentence... Speaking the truth in love is for the purpose of me becoming more like Jesus. That means that if I am loving someone, I'm taking them his way. Even if that means there's a little bit of sparks that might have to happen. And I expect those sparks to come to me too. In verse 16, we get the image of... Of love making us grow like a body. When's the last time you heard D'Angelo say that? Not love making us grow together as bodies, but love making us grow into the body of Christ. Speaking the truth in love, verse 15, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together By every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? In love. Love is happening if I'm growing in maturity in Christ. If I'm becoming more like Him. If people are in my life speaking truth to me if i'm with my wife or or our daughter or or with my friends or with my family and and, and we're serving each other we're giving each other hugs and and kisses and fellowship and we're, we're doing things for each other we're bailing each other out with money if we need it we're helping each other grow but at the end of the day the core of that campfire is me growing to look more like jesus that's how love really works So, I want to say something that seems a little confusing on the surface, but it'll make sense. God is love, but love is not God. God is love, but love is not God. You know that, is, that there's something wrong with your faith if you talk about love more than you talk about God. I don't know how many times I have seen the word love on my Facebook timeline in the last nine days in the wake of our Supreme Court decision compared to the number of times I've seen the word God. I have seen calls to be loving, to be like Jesus, but I have not seen much of God's will. Just simply love. But love is not God. A Victorian conception of love that is rooted in the idea that the pleasure and approval and satisfaction of human beings is the chief end of our existence and our relationships is a deeply flawed conception of love. This is not love, and this is not the love that wins. This is not the love that God has commanded us to have for one another, no matter how loudly and proudly and strongly a watching world might shout otherwise. We might think our self-centered God exists for my happiness conception of love is ultimate, but it's not. After all, who gets to define what love is and how it works? Who came first? God or us? Who gets to define love then? Don't let anyone tell you that you are not being loving unless they have defined love the way God defines it. Say that one more time. Don't let anyone, anyone, I don't care how smart they are, don't let them tell you you're not being loving. Unless they have defined love the way God defines it. So before we really dig into the inner workings of what our text says about love, let's give a few quick statements about what love is not. How about that? I would rather hear what love is not, just for a second. Because all I've been hearing for the last two weeks is what love is. And I don't know how to sort out the truth and the lies, Sometimes you've got to know what's not true in order to know what is true. Because we hear so many messages, and I'm not talking about one issue, I'm just talking about in general. So many messages about what love is. And so sometimes we need to delineate what's false from what's real. Here are some things love is not. Love is not giving unconditional approval to others no matter what they're doing. Love is not, stay out of my business, God's working on me, only God can judge me. I just need you to be there for me, to watch Netflix with me, and to make meals for me, and give me money when I need it. That's love. No way. No way in a million years is that love. Love is not letting people be them. Love is asking people to be God's, G-O-D-apostrophe-S, as in God's possession, not G-O-D-S, as in God's of their own. An apostrophe makes quite a difference, doesn't it? Love does not give people total freedom to do whatever they want, whenever they want to do it. And that makes sense to us, right? Right? No one, no one truly, if you really get down to brass tacks, no one truly thinks that love is allowing people to do whatever they want. You're not going to let your friend go murder, steal, rob. But the problem comes when people see things that are not, quote, huge sins, and they say, that's me doing me. I love her, so I'm going to move in with her. God wants me to do that instead of running around with my side chick or whatever. I love her. And so what they've done is they've taken a good idea like commitment but they've messed with it and they've turned it to their own liking. They've taken a little bit of God like a buffet and put it with a little bit of something else and they say, you're not loving me if you don't let me do that. But love completely depends on God's standard, not just part of God's standard. A second thing that love is not, love is not making others feel good. It might make people feel good, sometimes, hopefully, but the ultimate goal of love is not just to make others feel good. Three... Love does not revolve around other people's happiness because a truly loving thing might make one person very happy and another person very angry. Some loving things you do will make one person disappointed but another person happy. So if love's purpose is to make people happy, then obviously it didn't work in that case, right? But that's the wrong definition of love. It's not just whether people are happy or not. It's whether the right thing has happened or not. Love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. Because an emotion is by nature a response to something. A response. And love is not a response. Love is its own substantive directed action. Love might evoke feelings. It might make you feel a certain way in a romantic sense or otherwise, but love is not itself the feelings it evokes. Love is not itself the feelings it evokes. So if you're chasing feelings, then you must be feeling chasing because chasing is not love. I try to get in my hip-hop from time to time. Love is not merely sacrifice, long-suffering, laughter, kindness, patience, or the like. Love is worked out and demonstrated in these ways. These are fruits of love, but it is itself more than just the fruit it bears. To provide an analogy, we wouldn't say that an orange tree is an orange. We would say that an orange tree, or that an orange, is an outworking of an orange tree. And the orange tree itself is a unique thing that bears in itself the potential for great fruit. Love might work itself out in self-sacrifice. Love might work itself out in patience. 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a whole list of some of the fruits of love. But we shouldn't say, you didn't sacrifice for me in that moment, therefore you didn't love me. Because love is more than just the fruit it bears. It's deeper. Just like a tree is not itself the fruit it bears. So hopefully that gives some clarity and help to those who might be wondering, what is love? At least we know a couple things it is not. So now, let's look at what love is. This will surprise you. This will not be what you expect. One, what is love? One, it involves people. Love involves people, but it is not ultimately about people. It involves you, but it doesn't revolve around you. Love is and always has been about God, and that is where its real joy comes from. If God wins, love wins. If God does not win... Love has not won because love is about God. It is about Him. This passage has dual themes. Two ideas to communicate what speaking the truth in love does. One, love creates maturity in increasing in understanding of our Savior. This passage tells us over and over that love creates in us maturity when God's leaders when God's people speak the truth in love to each other if it has happened rightly then we become more mature and we love our savior more the second image this passage gives us of love is that it helps us grow as in a body in which Christ is the head it's just a tad different just a tad from what Hollywood tells us love is The first thing this text gives us to review, love creates maturity. Second, love creates growth. It's all about maturity and growth and passion for Jesus. If you speak the truth in love, if you're growing in love, then that's what's happening. How amazing is that? And how different that is. With this framework in mind, we are attempting to answer the question, what is the intention of love? Who is it for and what does it exist to do? We would be well served to define this and submit to this very noble and very different understanding. God's vision for love. Love is very much people driven, but it is not people oriented. What I mean by that, is that while people deeply need to share the activities and the interchanges of godly love, love does not find its fulfillment merely in people's positive feelings or in their sense of satisfaction. It culminates in or is oriented to personal connection to and maturity in God. There you go. That's what love is for. Personal connection to and maturity in God. There will be some good feelings along the way, but that's what it's for. If a man loves a woman or a woman loves a man the way love is meant to happen, they both will feel in the context of their relationship an increasing passion for the things of God and they will both feel amazing about it. Love is not static like a beautiful fountain in front of a mansion, but dynamic like a rushing river. It moves. Real love, the love that God has designed for us always and without exception, consists of at least three moving parts. At least two human beings and God. It is deeply interested in exchanging truth, meaning, purpose, and all of the emotions that may go with it to actively bring each other to greater maturity and fulfillment in the knowledge of the King. I'll say that again. Love is deeply interested in... And two people, whether uh, in the romantic sense or in the friendship sense and romantic sense as God has defined it, in exchanging truth, meaning, purpose, and all the emotions that may go with it, to actively bring each other to greater maturity and fulfillment in the knowledge of the King. I don't want my wife to just feel good. I want her to be godly, and feeling good will come with that. And I want her to want me to be godly. I want her to want me to be mature to be content in Christ, to be happy and and joyful in Him, in my Savior. That's what I want love to be for us. In our sin and our endless distortion of the things of God, we have tended to make love and connection something that virtually excludes truth, meaning purpose, and the god who is the source of these things never never do you hear a love song about growing in passion and commitment for the things of god unless it's by a very godly person it's always about feelings always about emotions and in the body and sensations but but what we've done we've 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 twisted this because feelings are actually just one part of what love is just a part We have improperly dichotomized the mental and heart disciplines toward maturity and meaning and truth and purpose from the heart commitments to one another in relationship. We have said, I will talk about truth and purpose and godliness later, but for now it's time to love each other. That totally doesn't make sense. That's the whole purpose of loving each other. That's the entire design from the inside out. Just like in the text, to direct us toward maturity in Christ. I'm not saying the feelings don't happen, but I'm saying they happen with the main course. They're the appetizers, they're the the garnish, they're the good things that surround the main course. But the main course is knowing and enjoying God. We've relegated the big questions about God and life to the philosophy textbooks And the Starbucks conversations and have reserved love merely for sentimentality and thrill and personal satisfaction when in reality, these two things, a pursuit of meaning and truth and the joys and pleasures of human connection should be deeply intertwined. I'll say that again. The search for meaning and truth and God and the joys and pleasures of human connection should all be deeply intertwined. I don't know if our relationship's going well. We just don't feel it. Is there meaning and truth and a search for God and a passion for the things of God in your relationship? Sometimes. But we just don't feel it no more. What I'm saying, brother, is is that's where the core is. Well, I'm just not really into that kind of stuff. That's, that's philosophical and that's, that's theology. I, I just, I'm... I'm more of a sit-down-and-hang-out-with-my-chick kind of guy. say, no, brother, that's the core of the fire. Your fire's not burning because there's no wood in it. I know that I am loving Mandy most intensely and most truly when I and she are both captured by something of God's glory, some truth of His character, some element of our purpose in Him. I'll say that again, I know that I am loving Mandy most intensely and most truly, not when it just feels great, but when I and she are both captured by something of God's glory, some truth of his character, some element of our purpose in him. Without exception, the roller coaster that is marriage, the downs, the valleys are always associated with some type of departure from God. Without fail, it always happens that way, at least for us. Whenever there's not closeness, whenever there's, uh, hey, I'll do it later, whenever there's laziness, whenever there's that disconnection, it always happens to be at the same time as a departure from talking about the things of God. As a failure to move each other toward the things of God. It's not a coincidence, The butterflies are great, but the unity of purpose we feel in our love relationships, romantic or otherwise, far exceeds that. I think this is what Paul had in mind when he wrote to the Ephesians. So let's, let's look at something another way for a second. If God is out of, the, out of the picture, love is out of the picture. If God is out of the picture, love is out of the picture. If there's no God, there's no love. Because God is love. God equals love. God minus God equals love minus love. Algebra. No God, no love. There is literally no such thing because it completely depends on Him to work. It finds its purpose in Him and it finds its power in Him. And so, of course, this begs the question, can two people who have no regard for or acknowledgement of God love each other? Whatever they have, though it might involve vestiges of love tied to God's gracious work in the hearts of those who do not trust in him it is a deeply imperfect love it's a distortion it's far away from the fire because love's because that type of love that love without god its only end game is human satisfaction whether that of the lover or the beloved or both It has very little room to go anywhere and will always be steeply choked by the limitations of human sin. Think about it. If you take God out of the picture, what can your love really do? If God is gone, where is your love going to go? The highest place it can get is feeling good for maybe a day, maybe a week, and then the valleys come. Oh, we got relationship issues. No, you got God issues. It's just not working out, bro. You know what's so funny to me? All the artists we listen to, to tell us about love, so, so few of them are actually in committed, deep relationships. I guarantee there's not a person in this room that can imagine Drake getting married. Yeah, girl. It's just, just, I can't imagine it. We listen we listen to so many people tell us about what love is, but are they doing it themselves? They give us feelings and and experiences and they might set a mood for us, but a glow stick isn't a campfire. If you know what I mean. It's not the real thing. We would do well. We would do really, really well, in fact. To put less of a premium on the Hollywood butterflies and sentimentality we typically associate with love. We put that stuff so high on the list of priorities when it comes to what love is. So high. The feelings, the sensations, the emotions, the, the goosebumps. It's like, it's not that that's not there. That is part of love. It's just we put it so high up on the list. And I think that hurts us. I really think that hurts us because we start looking for that and that only comes every once in a while, but we want it all the time. No one can give that to you all the time. I can't give that all the time. No one can. It's a cherry on top, but it's unfair of us to ask another person to give that to us because you can't give that to another person. How are you going to hold someone to a standard that you can't even meet yourself? There's no human being in this room that can provide nonstop notebook. No one. No one can. I have not watched the movie, but apparently most people have. No one can do that, and so we have to stop defining love that way because uh, these things are the flowery glow of love, but truth and understanding... God's uh, ways, but but understanding God's truth and understanding His nature is the core of love's fire. Love is designed to move God's beloved toward maturity and knowledge. Feelings or assurances might be included sometimes. Or feelings and senses of, of goosebumps. Speaking the truth in love is the task of the Christian leader. And thus the task of every Christian for his or her brother and sister in Christ. This text simply can't be more clear. We love each other by calling each other and helping each other and living with each other toward maturity and growth in Christ. That's it. That's it. We love each other by calling each other, helping each other, living with each other, doing things with each other toward maturity and growth in Christ. That's love. Where there is no motivation to cherish and enjoy and know and exult in the glory of God, there is no true love. The second thing this text tells us God or love is, because God is love, because God is love, love is doing and saying that which most accords with the nature and character of God. Because God is love, God, uh, because God is love, love is doing and saying that which most accords with his nature and character. Never again should you let a person tell you that you aren't being loving unless they can correctly define love for you. That's that's the, don't get into the, these Facebook battles anymore. When a person says you're not being loving, ask them, what is love? Seriously, what is love? They will stop. They will not be able to answer that question. They will say, love is is being nice to people. I say, really? But is that how God defines it? Building on our previous point and drawing from our text, it's abundantly clear that love has everything to do with conformity to the nature and character of God. This means that I am more loving when I behave, think, and speak in a way that more closely reflects God's intention and God's design. The more I think, speak, and behave in a way that reflects God's intention and design, the more loving I'm being. And then the less I think, speak, and behave in a way that reflects God's intention and design, the less loving I'm being. How's that for a standard to go by? The standard is great. It's so simple. I am more loving when I'm more reflecting godliness, God's design, God's standard, And I'm less loving when I'm less reflecting it. The standard is not some ever-changing, subjective, inconclusive human idea about what love is or whether you felt a connection or not. I just didn't feel a connection to you. The standard is whether you've done, said, served, walked with somebody in a way that most reflects God's nature and character. To give an example, if a friend you know is living in unrepentant, habitual sin and They know it, they're not trying to change, it's just, this is who I am, God's working on me, you just need to accept me. And they're telling you stuff like that. And you gently confront them in their sin by calling them to turn away from it and submit to God's will. You are absolutely loving them because you're acting and behaving and speaking and thinking in a way that reflects, that's consistent with God's nature and character. You are loving them more by doing that than by giving them 10,000 hugs and dinner out and crying together over a movie. You are loving them more that way than by paying their LG&E bill or being with them when they're sick or co-signing for a car or justifying to yourself that God's still working on them and I'm in no place to judge. No, you are in a place to love them and love might include judgment sometimes. Not because it's you setting yourself up but it's because it's you calling them back to the God who loves them. You're loving them as close to perfectly as can be because you're calling them to submit to God's will. That doesn't mean you have to be aggressive. It doesn't mean you have to be angry. But it does mean that you can't be silent. It does mean that you have failed to love them if your silence turns into making their feelings more important than God's glory. If you choose not to speak what reflects God's nature and character, and you know it, you would not be loving them at all. The further away you go from communicating God's design for them, the further away you go from loving them. God is love, and this means that drifting from the shores of God's nature is drifting farther into the ocean of lovelessness. Three, and finally, Love is, love is about truth. We have a priority system, I think, when we think about love. Love is making me feel good, then truth comes later. And in God's view, in the Bible's view, those two are flipped. Love is rooted in God, it's about truth, and then it's about feeling. The joy over that truth. See, what we do is this. We take God's glory and we put it in, into our system. We take God's will and put it into our system and see whether it makes us feel good or not. And then we determine whether or not that's love. When instead, we need to take ourselves, put ourselves into his system, and then build our emotions around his system. You see the difference there? To give an analogy, it's like God's truth is a glorious, glorious glass of water. A a bowl of water. And what we do is this. We take our cup, our cup, our way, and we put it on top of that water. And God's glory and all its truth and all its goodness sloshes and our cup wobbles. And we say, that wobbling is making me uncomfortable. But the water is good and it should be drunk. The water should be consumed. So instead of measuring God's glory and God's standard to our structure, we need to put our cup on the table, pour God's glory into that. That becomes our new structure. We don't wobble anymore. We've conformed ourselves, shaped ourselves around God's will. And we build our emotions from that. Not just whether it fits into our system. Is God a part of your system or are you a part of God's system? The way you answer that question will greatly affect the way you perceive what is loving or not. In our passage, we see without a shadow of a doubt that God has called his people to deliver truth to each other. Hugs and cards and sacrificial giving, and, and, and uh, these are the appetizers, but rejoicing in truth together is the main course. Truth is what ultimately transforms people. Don't you want your love to transform people? Truth is what ultimately does it, and this should be the end goal of our loving acts in a person's life. To put this in perspective, I'll say something that seems very strange. Very strange. If you were to spend your life serving and sacrificing for and cleaning up after and taking care of many people and at your funeral they simply said about you that you were a great person who cared about people and that was the extent of their memory of you would this not be an absolute failure not because your deeds were bad on the contrary they were wonderful But these deeds were not tied to greater truths about God and heaven and his glory and the deepest needs people have. The deeds didn't lead people to feel their need and didn't lead them to the Savior of their souls. It wasn't about Jesus, it was just about being a helpful, caring person. I just want to help people. But that's not enough. The problem is, you could be a helpful, caring person who believes in a false religion. And then what have you done? Sure, it helped people, but shouldn't love be more than just that? Perhaps you helped and cared for people and told them to trust in Allah and submit their lives to the way of Muhammad. In this case, the lack of truth completely destroys the good that has been done. Love has to be more than just kind deeds. I know that at my funeral I don't want to be regarded. I don't want to be regarded as someone who was merely helpful and caring and that's all. I want them to say about me that I was helpful and caring but that in my loving deeds and my kind uh, works I unhesitatingly pointed people to the origin of my love. I want people to say that I gave them loving actions, but that I gave them Jesus twice as much. I want people to rejoice over the blazing furnace that caused me to glow. I don't want them to rejoice over my glow. I want them to rejoice over the blazing furnace that caused me to glow. I want them to say that I drew them in with my actions, but they felt true love when I told them about Jesus. The actions got him in the door, the truth made him buy the house. That's what I want them to say. I want them to say that they felt most loved, not when I cleaned their house. I want them to say that they felt most loved not when I gave them that $100 to get uh, out of a situation. I want them to say that they felt most loved not when I let them borrow my car or when I took care of their kid for the weekend or, or when I was there for their mother's funeral. I want them to say that they felt most loved when I looked into their eyes with searing passion for their deliverance from sin and told them the truth of the gospel and gave them the name of Jesus. I want them to say that that was the pinnacle of my love for them, love rooted in truth and flourishing in loving actions. Not flourishing in loving actions with a little bit of truth sprinkled in here or there. Love is about truth. And truth is what we need to get rid of lies. You can't get rid of a lie without running, by running away from it. You get rid of a lie by putting the truth in front of it and letting the truth squish it out. And sometimes truth will not make people feel good. When there is a dissonance, a disconnect between what is true and how people feel about it, it is more loving to go with what is true than with what will make people feel better. Who in here is a people pleaser, enjoys making people feel good? I certainly do. And it's very, very difficult for people like us to speak the truth when we know it will make people feel a certain way. And we know they might not like it. And so what we do is we take the truth and we, we try to massage it. We don't get rid of the truth because we don't want to do that, but we, we, we kind of put it in the best angle. It's like taking a selfie. Finding the, you take like 50 of them to find that perfect angle that, that makes everything look just right. And that's what we do with truth. We try to take God's truth and shape it and move it and find the perfect angle so that it will be most appealing and create the least offense. And so we'll say God is love. But then what we mean by that is God is me loving you the way you want to be loved. There it is again, we're shaping God around people instead of the other way around. While we might think it is loving to try and massage the difficult truth in such a way that it becomes a little bit more pleasing to people who disagree with it, it is ultimately unloving to do this. Because we've departed from the truth to a degree, we've also departed from love to that degree. God's love is not like a buffet, where you take the part that's most appealing and leave the rest. God's love is like a car. You take one part, the whole car dies. It has to come in a package. Always, God's truth does. By bending the truth around popular opinion and people's emotions, what we thought would be more loving turns out to be less loving. What good is it to make people feel better if you're setting them up for years of confusion and potentially for an eternity in hell? What good is that to make people feel better? They'll forget you in ten minutes anyway. We're a people of amnesia. We'll forget things in a moment. I guarantee you, In 200 years, very few people will know who Michael Jackson was. But what is going to last? God's truth. Succumbing to the pressure of making people happy under the pretense of love is never, ever worth it. Succumbing to the pressure of making people feel happy under the pretense of love is never worth it. I'll close with this. There's another element to this notion that love is about truth. Because love is rooted in what is true, it profoundly cares about people not being swept away by false ideas. If you love somebody, that means that part of your love for them is caring about how they think. Not just how they feel. If you know they're thinking in in a, in a wayward way, they're off the track then part of your love for them is saying, hey, I know you feel this way. Let's talk. Let me get you back on track. There's some people who say, I'm not going to be worried about what he thinks. That's between him and God. I'm just going to love him. Absolutely not true. That's ridiculous because love is about truth. We just read from our passage that love means guiding people to godliness, guiding people to truth. I'm not going to worry about the sin in my brother or sister's life in Christ I'm not going to worry about what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what what, what convictions they might have. I'm just here to love them. That's not love. That is not love at all. I wouldn't want someone to do that with me. You know how they say that the best friends are the ones that are real with you? Not the ones that are just tell you what you want to hear? Why would you want to be that for someone else? If you want people to be real with you, then you should have that same desire. Love realizes that a human being's being's greatest need is not to be hugged or patted on the back or taken out for dinner or given soup in the hospital. But a human's greatest need and therefore my greatest love is to lead them to forgiveness of sin and to experience the glory of God in his presence Therefore, love fiercely defends the truth and does everything in its power to prevent people from the horrors of separation from Jesus. Love fiercely defends the truth. It is concerned with truth because truth has the ability to determine where you spend eternity. Soup has the ability to make you feel good for an hour. What requires more priority? What's more loving? Love absolutely scoffs at the popular sentiment that we should put away our truth claims and our religious principles and simply love each other. I heard this on a commercial one time. I almost destroyed my television. It said, we just need to put aside our differences for a minute, especially our religions, because religions start wars. No, humans start wars, but that's what they say. They say religions create division. We just need to put away religion for a second and just love each other. I, re- I want to go home and destroy my TV right now just because it said those words. <laughs> but I won't. Because NFL's coming in two months. <laughs> but that's that's... I can't think a few things that are more insane to say. That is a spit in the face to God because that says we define love. Not God. God, get out of the picture. I don't want you and your religion, your heaven and your hell. That's irrelevant. That's fairy tale stuff. I'm just going to love other people. But God invented love. He defines it. It's His. It's, it's all about Him. Love is designed to lead people to Jesus. If you lead them any other place, that's not love. It's about Him. How dare we say, I just need to put that stuff away and love people? What are you going to do for them without God? Where are you going to go without the fire? How are you going to keep your house warm if you've shut off the heat? You're going to feed them soup? You're going to give them a hug? Talk to them about what they're going through? How far is that going to go on Judgment Day? There is something bigger than feelings. And there is only God who deserves the every work of our love. God, help me to love. Help me to love in a way that honors you. Just as love has no substance apart from God, it has no substance apart from God's truth. Just as love has no substance apart from God, it has no substance apart from God's truth. So I want to make a challenge to you. I'm going to go extemp. First of all, I'm going to use this gigantic towel. Every time I get up here, I need bigger towels to take care of this sweat problem. I'm going to drink from the Holy Spirit juice. They take the fruits of the Spirit, they squeeze it, this is what comes out vitamin water. Alright, here's a challenge to you. We know the call to choose this day who you will serve. But within that call is a call to choose this day whether you will shape God around your standards or whether you will shape your standards around God. Whether you will put your cup on top of that water and say it's wobbly and I don't like it, or whether you'll put your cup on the table, pour the water in the cup and say, I'll drink it. Because that's God's. And he supersedes me. What the world tells me love is, only depends on how close it is to God's definition. I'm going to sin, I'm going to be imperfect. I'm going to struggle to love rightly. I'm going to be selfish. This is something that I will do every day. I admit that. But I know in my head what real love means. And I know that it's bigger, much, much bigger than simply doing what the world tells me to do. If you have never experienced true love, love rooted in your joy, love that is passionate about making you like Jesus, love that cares about your needs deeply and ultimately about your soul, then I want you to know today you can experience this from one of our leaders. We want to talk with you about what Jesus has done for you, how he has demonstrated his ultimate love for you. We want to tell you how no matter what you've gone through, what you've experienced, you can have fulfillment and restoration in him the salvation of your soul. This is what it means that God has loved us. He has given us a future and a hope. And I'm so grateful that God loved me enough to allow me to hear the gospel from a young age. And I'm so grateful that because I've heard this gospel, I no longer have to depend on human beings to give me feelings and what I think love is. But I can depend on God to make me his child and to take me back no matter what I've done and to give me a future and a hope. That's love. It's being close to him. I'm not going to look for it in just another man or woman or relationship. I'm, I'm looking for it in him. And he's given it to me. Praise God. Praise God for this future and hope I have. If you're in this room and Maybe you've been confused or had some different ideas about what love means. I pray that this time has been helpful and healing and clarifying. Uh, Love is is so much bigger than what we make it. So I'll pray for us and then uh, we'll have a time where if you need someone to pray with you, talk with you, help you think through some things, we are here to care for you and to listen to you. Dear Lord, thank you, thank you for setting for us a great and lofty and rich and beautiful standard for what love is. Something bigger and deeper and stronger than simply me feeling good in the moment. But love is me coming to your truth. Love is another person working with me to help me understand my heart and to guide me to your presence. Love is me getting close to the fire that is Your presence, Your glory, and rejoicing in it and anticipating the day when I'll see You face to face and not just through a dimly lit mirror. Thank You, God, for loving me so much that You gave Your Son to absorb my sins, to take care of me in the deepest possible way, to rescue me from condemnation in hell and to give me a future in heaven. Thank You for loving me Thank you, thank you, God. And all this love that I've experienced from other people, and all this love I try to give to other people, Lord, that is simply your work and your power, your Holy Spirit animating us in spite of our sin to display the glow that comes from that great blaze. So God, give us the power to love rightly, to love truly. And to love with your glory in mind. Help us to be confident in the midst of a roaring ocean of ideas of love that aren't rooted in you, that don't find their their, their source in your glory, but rather in simple human ingenuity and, and human wisdom and, and human glory, really. Help us to stay true to what love really is. Thank you, Lord.